Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Man, this morning we're going to play a little uh, association uh, game today. I want to show you some images and uh, maybe a word on the screen. And uh, I want you to, to think about or tell me what comes to mind when you see this image. Let's go with the first one. What is that? KFC, right? Kentucky Fried Chicken. All right, how about the next one? Starbucks. There we go. How about this one? Boy, that was a little bit of a delay, and I, I did hear that, somebody. <laughs> How about this? All right, there we go, and then what comes to mind when you read this word? See, there's different associations with different images, different words bring about different associations in our mind with things. Let me, uh, uh, for instance, when the Starbucks logo was up there, for some of you, maybe this past week you participated in the red cup. You got your favorite Christmas drink and got your red cup, or you thought about your to-go or maybe coffee with a friend. But for others of you, when that came up, you went, I don't go there. That's too expensive. Immediately cost came up or political association. I'm, I'm not going there, right? Or uh, I, I heard it when the Guardians logo came up. Some of you think about baseball games and hot dogs and summer fun with family. Others of you said, uh-uh, it'll never be the Guardians to me. It'll always be the Indians, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, for some of you, you associated it with, with, uh, with losing, unfortunately. That may be later on today, unfortunately, for the other team in this Cleveland area. I hope not. No, certain images are tied to certain things. So when, when the picture of the church came up, for, for some of you, there was association of fellowship, of, of, of the body of Christ, maybe coming together and worship. But for others, perhaps a different connotation, a different association came into your mind. For some, when the image of a church comes up, what association that brings might, might be something completely different, depending on their experience or knowledge. For some, when they see the image of a church, they might think of weddings or funerals. And when the word God came up, that invokes all kinds of different associations depending on your experience with God. So today, I want to, to help maybe shape a little bit of the associations that we have when we think of God and when we think of his people. Because as we look at the letter that John wrote... John, he, he begins to tie in something that is a defining characteristic of both God and his people. And that defining characteristic is love. For love, it's love. But for some reason, when a picture of the church comes up or the word God comes up, that's not always the first association that we have in our minds. It's certainly not what people think about it. And so uh, if that is the case, then what can we, what can we do about it? 
The past few weeks, we've been in this letter, 1 John. That's what it is. It's a a letter that John wrote, and uh, John was one of the closest uh, disciples to Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. And now he's been pastoring uh, in an area, pastoring an area of churches, a church of Ephesus in a region in what is modern-day Turkey. And the purpose of his writing to the believers in these churches is to give them confidence in their faith. So that they may know and have confidence when they stand before God and have confidence of what's coming in eternity. How many believe having confidence in our relationship with God is important? And sometimes we question that. And so this letter helps us to be able to understand that a little bit better. And John has provided some litmus tests of sort that we have looked at over the last couple of weeks that kind of help us to find out what does it mean to have a genuine faith? How do I know that the faith that I have in in God is real? How do I know that, that I have confidence when I stand before God? It begins by understanding First, who is Jesus? We talked about that in week one. Then understanding this role of sin. What is it with sin uh, and, and obedience when it comes to genuine faith? And then how is that faith lived out both in our relationship with God, but also in our relationship with one another? And so John's provided some litmus tests, and, and again, to put it perhaps a simpler term, John gives us three qualities that define what Christianity is all about. The truth test, we must believe certain things about God. The obedience test, our lives must be characterized by obedience uh, rather than sin. And then the love test, we must not only love, we must love others because Christ loved us. So let's, let's define this a little bit better. Let's look at truth for a moment. The truth test is simple. And that is this. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that he actually became and he became an actual man? We're coming up on Christmas. We're going to be unpacking that uh, and those traits a little bit more. But do you believe he became an actual man who died For our sins. You see, Jesus is both fully God and fully human, fully man. He, he, he's the only solution for the problem that we have for sin. And, and the most important thing when it comes to faith really is the question of who do you believe Jesus is? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? It's more than just a teaching. He's more than just a moral teacher. He wasn't just simply a, a good prophet. He wasn't just somebody who who wrote a bunch of wisdom things down. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God incarnate who has come to us fully God and fully man who died on the cross for our sin. And our answer to that question determines everything. Second, what do you believe about obedience? What do you believe about obedience to his word? The obedience test might seem simple, but it's intimidating. Do you obey the commandments of God? And if you have faith, does it result in a change in how you live and in change in in how you act? Does that impact our actions? God is light. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. God is light. And if we know him, then we live in the light as well. There is no dualism. God is light and in him there is no darkness. So the more that we have God inside of us, the more it ought to change the way we live. John isn't saying that we're perfect. How many know nobody's perfect? Nobody's perfect, right? 
but he's saying that our lives will lean more in one direction than in another direction. That they're going to be characterized more so by our obedience to the things that are found in God's word than disobedience to those things. Those are two out of the three. Today, we're going to look at the third in more depth, love. We're going to spend some time defining this third characteristic. And why is that important? Because as we've said, love is the defining characteristic of both God and his people. Love is the defining characteristic of both God and his people. Let's talk, let's start with God. Love is the defining characteristic of God. John makes two statements about God in this letter that are absolutely profound about God. They shape everything else. And that is this, that God is light and that God is love. He says this, God is light and God is love. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about this idea that God is light. First John 1, 5. This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. That has huge implications for us. John spends a large part of this sermon, this letter, and, and he's, he really, you see these themes, these three themes, you see them repeated over and over again in chapter one, in chapter two, in chapter three, in chapter four, chapter five. You see them repeated over and over again. And this idea that God is light, that we're his followers, and that we, we don't walk in darkness. We walk in the light as he is in the light. We can't follow God who's in the light if we're, if we're, if we're not prepared to walk in the light ourselves. But there's a second statement that John makes about God that shapes everything, and that is this. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Behold, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because, look at this, God is love. God is love. God is light. But now, John says here in 1 John 4, verse 8, that God is love. And these two statements, again, they shape a lot of what's in this letter, and, 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 and they also shape how we live. John doesn't waste any time spelling it out for us that if we follow a God who is love, then we are going to love as well. We're going to love as well. And what does it mean that God is love? Let's start there, because the foundation of us being able to love one another is based on the fact that God is love, and that if we know God who is love, and God who is love is inside of us and we fellowship with him, that's the foundation of our love for one another. We can't truly love one another as God has loved us if we don't understand what this is as far as God is love. When we talk about love, if you've ever searched on the internet or, or Google for an image of, of what, what love is, it might look like this picture on the screen, right? We tend to think that love is involuntary, right? That it's kind of a strong emotion toward another person. We, we think love in terms of romantically, and this is the time of year with all the Christmas Hallmark movies, right? And we think of love in terms of a, a Hallmark movie, and, uh, and these strong emotions with one another, or maybe the love a mother has for a newborn. And, and so when we, we think of God in that terms of love, it kind of uh, creates a problem for us. It kind of frustrates us a little bit because we, we kind of think it's got to be some kind of emotion. And, and we think that God might be some, like some kind of Cupid or something. And we got to have mushy feelings and 
that translates into mushy feelings for others. And, and I don't know about you, but, but frankly, it, it, I don't want to have mushy feelings. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. So is that what we think of when we think of love? No, what kind of love John's talking about, what is it? It's a love that was not commonly used. In fact, it, it, it's important for us to understand and get to the heart of God because this kind of love changes and challenges us and changes everything. So what does it mean that God is love? John provides us with some amazing pictures of God's love. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Let's unpack this verse for a moment. This verse is filled with treasure this morning. So, so let's, let's begin to unpack it a, a little bit. The love of God towards us is beyond comprehension. In fact, John opens 1 John 3, 1 with this word, behold. Behold. What does behold mean? It means to know and to see. To behold means to know and to see. That God's love is something that we can both see and something that we can experience. That we see and that we experience. The second important word in this verse is manner. Behold what manner of love. This is a word that, 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 that speaks to something that maybe we're not accustomed to. Uh, that which is beyond our ordinary lives. In fact, the word manner here in the original of the New Testament occurs only seven times throughout the entire New Testament. This word manner is only used about seven times throughout. And when, it, when it's used, it implies some kind of astonishment or amazement. Let me show you by illustrating it how the word is used in, in a couple other places in scripture, Matthew 8, 27 and Mark 4, 41, the disciples used this word when they saw Jesus, they were in the boat, there was this big storm, they woke him up, he was sleeping and we're all going to die, right? And then Jesus said, peace be still, right? And the, the wind and the waves calmed, I remember that. And, 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 and they said this, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? They were astonished. They were amazed. They had not seen anything else like that. The manner in which Jesus had stilled the wind and the waves was extraordinary. It was out of the ordinary. It wasn't, it was unlike anything they had ever experienced before, anything anybody else had ever done. John uses that same word when it comes to the way that Jesus loves us the way that God, our heavenly father, adopts us into his family as his children and loves us. Behold, what manner of love is like this. It's extraordinary. It's out of the ordinary. It's completely uncommon. I don't know about you, but when I think about that, I go, wow. Wow, that's a wow. It's otherworldly. Do you know that the Christian God has an otherworldly love for you? Wayne Grudem, who is a theologian, defines the love of God like this. He says, God love, God's love means that God eternally gives himself to others. Do you know that God didn't have to do that? God didn't have to do that. 
He didn't have to give his love to others. God doesn't owe us anything. In fact, we owe him everything, right? Wayne Grudem says, God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others, and it is part of his nature to give of himself in order to bring about blessing or good for others. That it's a part of his nature. That this kind of extraordinary love is not just something that he does. He does it because it's in the essence of who he is. It's a, so a part of his nature. So a part of who he is. That, that this, this is the kind of otherworldly love that comes from God. Now let's go a little bit deeper. When God says, or when John writes here that God is love, what he's not saying is, is that God is literally love. Some people want to, to kind of associate that and say, well, God is love. Well, that means that any time that there's love, then there's God. I, I can worship love. There are people that worship love. What he's not, what he's not saying is, is that God is literally love. It's a part of his, his, his emphasis in nature. He's not metaphysically love. That'd be like with the logo we put up there about KFC. That'd be like saying that, that Colonel Sanders is chicken. Right now, Colonel Sanders is associated with chicken. He's closely associated with chicken, but we know that he was a man. He just, you know, created a chicken business. So when you see Colonel Sanders, you immediately associate it with chicken. All right. It doesn't mean that Colonel Sanders is metaphysically chicken. You go, that's crazy. That's what we're talking about with God. God is not love. It's not we worship love. We worship God. Metaphysically, he's not love. But the essence of who he is, the close association of love to God is so much that when we think about God, we ought to think about his amazing love for us. We ought to think about that remarkable love. That's one of the most remarkable things about God is his love. And then John gives us some, some compelling examples of this. Let's go back to 1 John 4, 8 to 10 for a moment and, 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 and take a look at that. Because God, because John gives us some, some compelling examples. What does this look like? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So here's the example, was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We talked about that word propitiation a couple of weeks ago. It means that he satisfied the claim against us. The claim against us, he satisfied. The judgment that was against us because of our sin was satisfied in Jesus Christ. That God gave Jesus to lay down his life for us. This is the example that we see that love is not only God's eternal nature, but it's expressed in his actions by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins. To die in our place. John Stott expressed it this way, while the origin of love is the being of God, the manifestation of love is the coming of Christ. His manifestation, that how love was expressed was in Jesus Christ coming and giving his life for us. Love is at the very heart of the universe and the nature of God. And the most powerful demonstration of that love is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the best news that you'll hear today, and that's the best news that you'll hear forever. God eternally gives himself to others. He's so giving 
that he did not even spare his own son. Not that we loved God first, but he loved us first. I just think that's a good word. That's a good word. And I want you to receive his self-giving love and, and, and to begin to trust God's love. What's so hard is that sometimes we have trouble trusting God. At the very heart of it, we, we sometimes struggle to trust God. We sometimes struggle to trust his, his motives. We sometimes struggle to trust sometimes the situations we're in and we don't understand the situations we're in. But I want you to know that you can trust God, that, that you can trust him. We, we sometimes think if, if I were God, I would do it differently. It would be better. Can, can we just be honest? How many have ever, ever felt that way before? If I was God, I would do it differently. I will raise my hand, okay? I have been that arrogant. Not maybe outwardly, but there are times where I go, God, I just don't understand. If it was me, I would have done it this way. Thank, thank the Lord I'm not God. <laughs> Sometimes that's because we don't trust. We don't trust his love. We don't, we don't trust him in that way. But what John is saying is God is not holding out on us. His very essence, who he is, what, which translates into what he does is his love for us. And there is nobody who cares more for you than God does. No one cares more for you than God does. No one went to greater lengths to express his love to you than God did when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to give his life on the cross. Love is a defining characteristic of God and we can trust him and we can serve him. Now, if love is a defining characteristic of God, what translate that is that we who are his people, if we have faith in God, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then the love of God ought to become manifest in us and ought to be a, a characteristic that defines his people. That's what John is saying here. That love is a defining characteristic of his people. Let's move on a little bit in John chapter 3 and verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need that closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. As followers of Jesus, as the, as the recipients of his marvelous love, love ought to be a defining characteristic of us. In other words, our actions ought to manifest themselves through love. Our love, the otherworldly love of God, ought to translate into how we love one another. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 states this, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's kind of a litmus test, isn't it? And this commandment we have from him. So now it's a commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Love ought to be something that we have for one another that is, is a test, is an example, is a, uh, a mirror that reflects our love for God. If we say we love God, but we don't love one another, then we have to begin to ask ourselves, what is this relationship with God that we have like? Is it simply religion or are our lives being transformed by our relationship with our heavenly father. Ooh, ouch. 
What John is saying is love is at the very heart of God. And now we're a part of that fellowship, the fellowship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that, that honor and love and, and, and in the essence honor one another and, and give place to one another. And as followers of Jesus Christ in fellowship, going back to 1 John chapter 1 and the very opening, that, that when we know him, we have fellowship with him and fellowship with others. That fellowship that we have, that relationship that we have is not just a relationship with God, but it ought to impact our fellowship with one another. That's why I struggle when, when people say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but I don't want to be a part of his body or be a part of a church. I struggle with that. I struggle with that because I don't see that anywhere in scripture. If we say that we know God, it ought to translate in how we relate to one another. It ought to translate in our relationships with one another, in our desire to be a part of his body, loving one another. How can I do that? How can I do that when I'm just by myself? It's just me and you, God, just me and you, God. God says, it's not just me and you. What are you, what are you gonna do in heaven? Because it's not just gonna be me and you. Think about that. God doesn't want you miserable for eternity. That's called hell. Whoops. Now, as those who receive the currency of God's love, we ought to exchange and express that currency to others. It ought to be reflected in our nature as well. So, so how do we love? How do we love? The good news is, is John doesn't, doesn't just leave this as a, as a theory that's out there. He doesn't just put it out there as this kind of, oh, love, this bushy gushy. Oh, how, how does this, how does this work out practically? Well, well, this is what love is supposed to look like. First John chapter three, John gets very practical and, uh, and, and he says, this is what it ought to look like that we lay down our lives for our brothers. That's a, that's a pretty high standard standard, isn't it? That we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's a, that's a pretty high standard. That's what Jesus Christ did. The bar's been set pretty high. Is that what we're being called to do? Are we, are we actually being called to die for others? Well, maybe, but I think it's more in terms of the day-to-day, -day, the, the little things, the, the things in ordinary practical life. And, and so John translates this a little bit more. It's still costly, but, but, but it's in the day-to-day -day things that we do. So let's go back to the verses in 1 John 3, 17 and 18. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed and in truth, laying down one's life is not just I'm going to take a bullet for you. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to actually physically die for you. It, it is more in the little everyday ways in which we practically serve one another. We practically look at how we can meet the needs of of of, of one another. It's not so much a dramatic rescue. <laughs> it's more in the ordinary things of day to day life. Some of you participated and have participated in various ways. You, you, you joined in the Samaritan's purse, uh, 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 the Samaritan's uh, boxes of, of, uh, that we do here at Christmas, the shoe boxes. 
And uh, I was told this morning when I came in that, that uh, you all uh, gave 78 from our church, 78 shoeboxes this Christmas to bless children who are in need around the world. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. Some of you uh, are, are wanting to bless our foster care, our, our students here in Lake County that are in foster care, and you've given $25 gift cards. Thank you for doing that. Thank you. These are some of the expressions, but sometimes it's just uh, helping a neighbor out when you know they're in need. Perhaps making them a meal or, or stopping over to help with a problem or seeing somebody by the side of the road that uh, maybe has a flat tire and you stop by to, to try to help. There's all kinds of little ways in which you might hear about a need or see somebody that's in need and then come alongside to bless them. Has anybody ever heard the theory of the butterfly effect? It's uh, the butterfly effect is a theory that, that small things like maybe the flapping of a butterfly's wings in Brazil might cause a tornado to happen in Texas. It, it, was, it began in 1963. A guy by the name of Edward Lorenz presented a hypothesis to the New York Academy of Science. And his theory simply stated this, a butterfly could flap its wings and set molecules in motion which move other molecules in the air, in turn moving other molecules in the air, eventually capable of starting a hurricane on the other side of the planet. As you might imagine, in that day, while he was there at that convention, the people that were there almost laughed him out of the room. In fact, it became this fanciful idea that was then uh, termed the butterfly effect. He didn't call it that, but that's what it was termed. And it just was, was something of science fiction that was propelled by, by comic books and bad movies. Until about 30 years after the theory that was introduced, uh, introduced at that time, Physicists and professors working in college and universities around the world came to a conclusion that the butterfly effect was authentic, accurate, and viable. And soon it was even given the status of a law called this, known as the law of sensitive dependence upon initial conditions. Imagine that! A theory laughed out 30 years later, all of a sudden they give it the name of a law and it's shown that the butterfly effect to engage with, excuse me, has shown the butterfly effect to engage with the first movement of any form of matter, including people, including people. According to Kenneth Chang, the Bible often describes a similar butterfly effect for the spiritual life. According to Jesus, the spiritual butterfly effect occurs when we do small things by making a meal, visiting the sick, befriending the lonely, opening our home to a guest, praying with a friend, or showing kindness to insignificant people, which makes a huge difference in God's eyes. But according to Jesus, there's a reverse butterfly effect consistent with failing to display small acts of kindness that has a profound loss of opportunity in the spiritual realm. The butterfly effect. That's what love looks like. Laying down our lives is sometimes saying, I'm, 
I'm not going to be selfish, but I'm going to choose to give. I'm not going to make it about me, but I'm going to make it about how I can serve others. It might not be comfortable for me and I may not have the time, but I will make the time. I will stop so that I can help someone else who is in need, so that I can show kindness to someone, so that I can love someone who is in need in a very tangible way. It, it, and it continues noticing these needs and, and then performing these actual deeds that meet practical needs both in large ways and in small ways. Little things in small ways. Mother Teresa once said this, small things done with great love will change the world. Small things done with great love will change the world. And according to John, this is how we know that we belong to God. That if we really know God, our lives will look like Jesus. That love will be the defining characteristic, not just of the God that we serve, who gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us. But as we fellowship with him, his love, that's a part of his nature, becomes a part of our nature. And as his children, we begin to reflect the nature of our heavenly father. And we become the hands and feet of Jesus, loving those around us. There's a lot of hate in this world. There's a lot of anger in this world. There's a lot of bitterness in this world. There are a lot of hurting people in this world. What would happen if God's people who have been the recipients of his amazing love started to translate that in how they live to love the people around them and to say, we are different. We are different. That's what John is talking about here. But we can't do that if we don't first understand that God is love. That we first don't begin to understand the love that God has poured out for us. Those who have been forgiven much, love much, there it is. Thought you were asleep for a moment. Those who are forgiven much, love much. If we, if we struggle to love much, maybe we've forgotten how much we've been forgiven. To truly love others means that we have to receive the love of God. And some of us have a hard time receiving his love. But I want to encourage you today that God is love. He loves you. And as we are recipients of his love, we then can love others. It begins with his love. There's a hymn. And I'm going to close with this. So worship team, you can prepare. There's a hymn we used to sing expresses the, the marvelous love of God. In fact, that's the hymn's title. It's called The Love of God. And it goes a little bit like this. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. 
Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how marvelous and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. How marvelous God's love is, right? How marvelous God's love is. How measureless and beyond. Can we properly comprehend the amazing love of God? Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. Loving not just what God does, but who he is and allowing his very nature to become a part of our nature that we might love one another. This morning, where are you at in receiving and, and just abiding in and, and relating to the, your heavenly father and his amazing love for you? Have you received his amazing love? Have you been experiencing that lately? Perhaps the struggle to love one another and consider their needs is because maybe, maybe perhaps we've allowed this relationship to become more religion. We've, we've allowed this, this idea of I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ to become something more about what we do rather than our being in Christ. As we begin to, to open up and get back to that relationship with God and we allow his amazing love to shed abroad in our hearts, it changes us. We begin to see as he sees and we begin to love as he loves and we notice things and our hearts are pricked and we're moved with compassion as Jesus was moved with compassion for a world that was in need. Let's begin first, where are you at? in your relationship with the Lord. Where are you at in receiving his amazing love? Let's bow our heads this morning. Friend, if that's you this morning, maybe you just need, maybe you need to respond and receive his amazing love. Maybe you've never done this before. You've never opened yourself up to the amazing love of God. And this morning you'd say, Pastor, I, I need to do that today. I need to open up my heart to receive his amazing love for me. I need his forgiveness and grace in my life. If that's you this morning, maybe for the very first time you say, I need to open up my heart to the amazing love of God. I need to receive his love and his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. Anyone at all, I need to receive his grace and his mercy in my life. Amen. Maybe you... Maybe you're here this morning and, and it's been a while. Maybe you're struggling with the love of God. You're struggling to be able to receive his love. You've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but boy, when you consider where you're at in your walk with the Lord, you consider where you're at. Maybe there've been some things that have been hard, difficult roads, some things that have made it difficult for you to receive his love. And you say, pastor, will you pray for me? I just. I need to experience his love again. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I need it again. I need to receive his love again. I need to experience his mercy again. Hallelujah. Then finally, I want you to consider this morning, how are you doing at loving others? How is the love of God that you've received being translated into how you love and serve those around you? Jesus, we just ask that you would fill us with your love today. Father, if there's someone here or watching online for the first time, 
that has not received your love, we, we do so today. We open up our heart and we ask you, Jesus, to forgive us of our sin, to, Lord, we want to receive your grace and your mercy today. Jesus, we acknowledge that you laid down your life for us and that you rose from the dead. And we put our faith in you today and we receive your amazing love. Jesus, if there are those that are struggling today, maybe it's been a while. We want to receive your love today. We want to walk in your love today. And I just ask that Jesus, you would just begin to fill our hearts so much with your love. That Father, like a bucket that overflows, it would splash on everyone we come in contact with. Jesus, move in our lives that your nature and your love inside of us would translate into how we love others around us. Open our eyes to the need and give us a, a heart of compassion that we would be moved as you are moved when you see those that are lost or those that are in need or those that are hurting. We thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.